Crime Happens contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Happens, where we uncover the evil that surrounds us. I'm your host, Chris. Is it considered self-defense if you chase someone down and kill them? Vanessa K. Williamson tried to convince a jury that it was. She almost succeeded. On January 8, 2010, 24-year-old Vanessa K. Williamson and her boyfriend, 22-year-old Robert Lee James IV, murdered 28-year-old Daniel Ravnesh Kelawan in Redding, California. This story takes place in Northern California, often referred to as NorCal. Northern California is known for its redwood forests, beautiful rivers, amazing vineyards, and its dramatic Pacific coastline. NorCal cities include Sacramento, the state capital, San Francisco, Redding, Santa Rosa, Chico, and more. Chico State University in Chico is an excellent university, but it also has a reputation for being a party school. San Francisco is home to the iconic Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz Prison. Silicon Valley in the South San Francisco Bay Area is where you'll find Facebook, Apple, Google. And the Napa and Sonoma regions are renowned for their vineyards and wines. In Sonoma, you'll find the beautiful city of Santa Rosa, which is the main city in California's famous wine country. Redding is a former gold mining town, and today it's a regional hub for retail, education, medical facilities, and more. They also say the sun shines in Redding 88% of the time. Despite how inviting and picturesque this all sounds, there is always a dark side lurking just beneath the surface. Vanessa K. Williamson and Danielle Ravnesh Kelawan met each other back in October of 2009 at a cannabis club in Sacramento, and it wasn't long before the two began dating. Kelawan worked as a driver delivering prescription medication and medical supplies from a warehouse in Sacramento to three medical facilities between Williams and Redding. These two cities are about 100 miles apart and Kelawan began to take Vanessa along with him on his delivery routes. In addition to keeping him company on these long drives, Kelawan paid Vanessa to help him with the driving. Sometime near the end of November, Vanessa broke up with Kelawan, believing he had cheated on her. Despite having cheated on her, Vanessa felt that Kelawan was pressuring her to move in with him in Sacramento. In order to get away from him and be closer to her family, Vanessa moved from Sacramento to Redding. Just before making that move to Reading, Vanessa began seeing a guy named Chris Kingsley. She met Chris on a social media website. Although she now considered Chris to be her boyfriend and believed Kelawan had cheated on her, she still kept Kelawan on the hook. She told her mom that she wanted to keep Kelawan happy so he would continue to give her money. Apparently, Kelawan had already given her about $1,000. Only 500 of that was for sharing the driving on his route. The other 500 was because he liked her, a lot. 
He also bought Vanessa clothes, paid for her to get her hair and nails done, and bought her food, cigarettes, and pot. And he even gave her daughter a video game for Christmas. It seemed that Vanessa had found a sugar daddy in Kelowan. Even though she had broken up with him, she was still using him and stringing him along. When Chris Kingsley saw a sexual text message on Vanessa's phone from another man named Elliot Fitzgerald on New Year's Eve, he broke up with her. But Vanessa didn't waste any time crying over Chris. Instead, on that same day, she immediately hooked back up with an old boyfriend, 22-year-old Robert Lee James IV. So, within a very short period of time, Vanessa has been involved with Rob Nesh Kelowan, Chris Kingsley, Elliot Fitzgerald, and now Robert James. Vanessa is a very busy woman. James was living with his father, who was a chiropractor in Reading. Over the next week, Vanessa and James spent every single day together and most nights. Vanessa would go over to the house and the two of them would just hang out. By the end of that week, James really believed he was in love with Vanessa. During this week, Vanessa told James all about Kelowan and explained that she had been working for him as a pill courier. She told James that she quit that job when she moved to Reading because Kelowan didn't deliver to Reading. But then Kelowan changed his route to include Reading after she moved, and she felt like he was stalking her. When James asked if Kelowan was her boyfriend, she said no. Their relationship was strictly professional. Of course, this was all a lie. Kelowan's route always included Redding, and he had definitely been her boyfriend. As Vanessa continued talking to James about Kelowan, James naturally became curious and started asking questions about Kelowan's job and route. Vanessa explained to James how the delivery service worked and told him that she was extremely familiar with his route. Next, she tried to convince James that with her knowledge of his route, it would be super easy to rob Kelowan. James wanted to know what would be in a standard delivery. Vanessa told him that there would be several packages containing prescription medication that would be stored in the backseat of Kelowan's car or in the trunk. She also told him that he would be carrying about $1,500 in cash and would have a gun in the car. Vanessa told James if they were going to rob Kelowan, they would need to have a gun too. After giving it some thought, James said no way, he didn't want to do it. He told Vanessa that it would be way too risky since she did know his vehicle and route so well, she would be the first person Kelowan would suspect. By now, James and Vanessa have been together all week. On January 8th, Vanessa drove to a local pharmacy to pick up a prescription for Norco. Norco is a combination of acetaminophen and hydrocodone, an opioid pain medication. Vanessa had injured her knee and was given this prescription for the pain. She didn't take the pills herself, instead she sold them. James, on the other hand, was addicted to prescription pain medication and Oxycontin, a much more powerful drug than Norco, was his drug of choice. James happened to be out of Oxycontin and was suffering from withdrawal symptoms. Vanessa gave him five of her Norco pills to help him manage. During the afternoon and early evening, they ran a few errands together. This included two stops at the Capri Motel in Reading, where Vanessa's family was living, and taking occasional breaks to smoke some pot. Afterwards, they went back to James's house, where they poured themselves a drink. 
Throughout the entire day and into the evening, Vanessa was constantly on her phone texting. One of the people she was texting with was Kelawan. She was arguing with him about a text he had received about two weeks ago from a young woman. The text included a nude photo. Kelawan apologized for being so stupid and swore that there was nothing going on between them. He said the nude photo she had sent was as far as it had gone. He asked Vanessa to forgive him and to please come back to Sacramento with him. He had left the Sacramento warehouse at about 6 p.m. and was heading to Redding on his route. Redding is about 160 miles north of Sacramento. It would take about two and a half hours to make that drive. Vanessa refused, but by 7 p.m. she changed her mind and said, maybe. By 7.40 p.m. she was back to saying no. By 8.20 p.m. she was pissed off all over again and said that it was definitely no and he could have sex with whoever he wanted because she couldn't care less. Kelawan texted back saying he loved her and said, please don't do this. Then to really piss him off, she said she would be too busy receiving oral sex to come back to Sacramento with him. Kelawan texted back saying, fine, but I want my money back. He texted again saying he wanted the money he had given her to get her hair and nails done and he wanted the video game he had given her daughter back. By the time he had sent this text, Kelawan was already at a delivery stop in Red Bluff. It's about 30 minutes from Red Bluff to Redding. The nurse who signed for the medication he delivered to that facility said that he seemed down in the dumps and was on his cell phone. When she asked him what was wrong, he said he was having problems with his girlfriend and he was breaking up with her. This whole exchange with Kelawan was not about her being jealous. It was about her winding him up to set the stage for what was to come next. James and Vanessa continued to enjoy their drinks while they sat in the kitchen having what started as a quiet night at home. James left the kitchen for just a few minutes, going back to his bedroom to take five more of Vanessa's Norco pills while Vanessa continued texting. While he was in his bedroom, he said Vanessa started screaming. This is when Vanessa received the text from Kelawan saying he wanted his money back and the video game back. Vanessa started screaming, he's going to kill my baby. James ran to her side, tried to calm her down and asked her what she meant. Vanessa completely twisted the meaning of Kelawan's text around, telling James that Kelawan wanted her daughter's hair and nails. James had no idea what to think about that except that it sounded pretty creepy. Kelawan sent more text messages demanding that Vanessa return his money. He told her he would meet her at the motel where her family lived in 15 minutes. She told Kelawan that she wasn't at the motel. Kelawan texted back, your family will be there. Vanessa showed this message to James and told him she wanted to get to the motel so she could protect her daughter. She told James he's going to need to bring his gun. James was hesitant. This was all happening pretty fast. He asked her if she was sure she wanted to do this. Vanessa emphatically replied, yes, she was sure. So James ran into his father's bedroom and grabbed his Glock 9mm semi-automatic handgun along with its clip and a handful of bullets. As they left the house, Vanessa complained to James that Kelawan was demanding that she return the money he had given her and that it wasn't right because she had earned that money. 
Vanessa and James jumped into her red Ford Mustang and drove to the Capri Motel. James was under the impression that they were gonna go check on her family and make sure they were all right. James drove the car while Vanessa loaded the bullets into the magazine. James then told her to put the magazine in the glove compartment and the gun under the passenger seat. By this time, Vanessa has completely manipulated both Kelowan and James into doing exactly what she wants. Kelowan is angry and James is playing her protector. As they drove to the motel, Vanessa called Kelowan on her cell phone. Although James had never even met Kelowan, the dispute escalated into a screaming match involving all three of them. Vanessa yelled, you're not gonna fuck with my family and we have a gun too. James couldn't hear what Kelowan was saying to any of this until Vanessa switched the call to speakerphone. That's when he heard Kelowan swearing and yelling. Hearing all this, James jumped in and yelled, I'm gonna kill you. And that was the end of the phone call. Vanessa and James continued driving to the Capri Motel, passing a police station on the way. James actually considered stopping to let the police know about Kelowan's threats to kill Vanessa's daughter, but quickly decided that it was more important to get to the motel first. When they got to the motel, Vanessa took the gun out from under the seat and the bullets out of the glove compartment. She loaded the gun and got out of the car holding the gun under her shirt. James was concerned about her carrying the gun and took it from her, sticking it into his waistband. As it turns out, Kelowan's car wasn't at the motel and he had never even stopped to buy as far as her family knew. Inside the motel room, James told Vanessa's dad they should probably move to a different motel for their own safety. James even lifted his shirt and showed him the gun in his waistband. Her dad told them they weren't going anywhere. While they were in the motel room, Vanessa and Kelowan continued texting. She told Kelowan she was at the motel and asked him where he was. Kelowan continued to text insults and demand his money. In one of these texts, he told her he was across the street. Even though James was super nervous, he still followed Vanessa. They ran out of the motel room, jumped in the car, and drove across the street. This time, Vanessa was the one driving and James was in the passenger seat holding the gun. Kelowan wasn't there. Vanessa told James she knew his route really well, and based on his last stop, she had a pretty good idea of where he might be. Once again, she suggested to James that they should rob Kelowan. She said they could rob him and scare him out of town at the same time. Unfortunately, James is so easily manipulated by her that he agreed. He truly believed he was helping to protect her family, especially her daughter. So they drove towards Kelowan's last stop for the day, which was a skilled nursing facility about two miles from the hotel where Vanessa's family was staying. Lo and behold, they found Kelowan about a block from the facility driving through an intersection. Vanessa shouted out, that's him, that's his car. Vanessa followed Kelowan around the block and pulled up beside his car in the oncoming traffic lane. Just then, both cars accelerated. At the next intersection, Kelowan's car spun out on the wet roadway, coming to a stop, sitting sideways in the middle of the road. Vanessa stopped her car and pulled up next to Kelowan so that James was directly across from Kelowan. 
As her car came to a stop, James thought he saw something in Kelawan's hand and opened fire. He fired five rounds in rapid succession. One of the bullets struck Kelawan in the back, traveled through his chest cavity, and penetrated his aorta. Despite massive internal bleeding, Kelawan managed to right his car and drive a short distance before veering off the road and crashing into a neighborhood yard. He likely died before his car even came to a stop. Given the circumstances, they decided it wasn't a good idea to stop and rob Kelawan after all. Instead, they sped past his car as it crashed into the yard and drove back to James's house. They spent the night at the house and were arrested there the next day. Vanessa and James were both charged with the first-degree murder of Daniel Ravnesh Kelawan. During their arraignment, James, who sat several feet away, blew a kiss to Vanessa. Vanessa and James started out as co-defendants, but I guess his passion for her faded when he was offered a plea deal. In this agreement, he was required to cooperate with law enforcement and testify truthfully at all stages of any proceedings involving Kelowan's death. James held up his end of the plea deal and provided damaging testimony against Vanessa at trial, much of which was corroborated by testimony from other witnesses and forensic evidence. In exchange, James received a 32-year, six-month prison sentence as opposed to a potential life sentence. At her trial, Vanessa claimed self-defense. Vanessa's defense attorney attempted to portray Kelowan as a jealous ex-con who desperately wanted to remain Vanessa's boyfriend. He said she wanted to end the relationship, but he wouldn't let it go. He told jurors that Vanessa felt threatened by Kelowan and was afraid he would hurt her and her family. But the only evidence that Kelowan made any threats at all came from Vanessa. Kelowan texted plenty of insults and swore, but he never threatened her or her family. Her statements regarding any threats made by Kelowan are clearly contradicted by their actual text messages. She twisted everything Kelowan said around in an effort to convince James to help her rob him. Convincing James wasn't too difficult since he was by his own admission in love with her at the time. And given that he had been drinking, smoking pot and popping pills all day, he wasn't exactly thinking clearly. She testified that Kelowan had not only threatened to kill her family, but also to blow up or shoot out the windows of their motel room. James countered her statements when he testified that he did hear Kelowan cursing and yelling during a phone call in the car, but he never heard Kelowan make any specific threats. James testified that he was indeed the lone shooter, but he also testified that it was Vanessa who convinced him to take along his father's gun on that January night, and it was Vanessa who loaded the 9mm Glock which was used to kill Kelowan. He said that Vanessa told him he would need a gun for protection because Kelowan carried a gun. We now know that was a lie. James, being so loaded on alcohol and drugs, thought he saw something in Kelowan's hand that he thought was a gun. He also testified that he thought Kelowan had fired at them. Although Vanessa told James that Kelowan was armed, there was absolutely no evidence to support that statement. In fact, 
no gun was ever found in or near his car following the murder. Vanessa wasn't worried about herself or her family. Her primary goal was to rob Kelowan and then kill him so he couldn't identify them to authorities. This was about money, pure and simple. She did not want to return any of the money he had given her already, and she wanted more. They left the house that night with a plan, with a loaded gun. They went looking for him. They chased him through town and they shot him. This doesn't sound like someone in fear for her life to me. Believe it or not, Vanessa's first trial ended in a mistrial. The jury panel was made up of eight women and four men. After three and a half days of deliberations, they reported to the judge that they were deadlocked. The judge polled the jury to see if there was anything he could do to break the impasse and was told by one of the female jurors that she believed one of the jurors on the panel was biased. Four of the jurors, all of whom declined to be identified, said they believed Vanessa was guilty of first-degree murder, but the four women would not vote to convict her because she felt sorry for her. It was all sympathy, one juror said. Based upon the responses from the jurors questioned, the judge said there was no solid proof the four women had reached her decision in an incorrect manner that would warrant her removal. He also concluded that if he removed her from the panel, his decision would be quickly reversed by an appellate court. He called the entire jury back to the courtroom and declared a mistrial. Fortunately, her second trial ended in a conviction for first-degree murder. Vanessa K. Williamson was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Even though Vanessa was not the shooter, she was the diabolical mastermind. She was more culpable than James. She orchestrated the entire scenario and manipulated both men so she could rob Kelowan and then eliminate him as a witness. In court, Vanessa K. Williamson shook and sobbed uncontrollably before she was sentenced and claimed to be an innocent victim. She said, I never wanted anyone to be harmed. I wasn't the one who pulled the trigger of the gun that killed Kelowan. Mr. James pulled the trigger. I just don't understand why everybody's coming down on me. I don't understand why it's all me. Even after being convicted of first-degree murder, Vanessa was still playing the victim, still trying to manipulate her audience. But the real victim in this case was 28-year-old Daniel Ravnesh Kelawan. Thanks again for tuning in to Crime Happens. All episodes are researched, written, recorded, and audio mixed by me, <gasps> Crime Happens is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Apple, and other podcast platforms. Please follow or subscribe wherever you listen. Check out my website at crimehappens.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at crime underscore happens. I'll be back very soon with an all new episode. Until then, I wish you well. <laughs>